Putting, 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 kings, kings, kings online, online, online. Putting Kings Online, a podcast exploring the process of designing online learning courses from the team which creates them. I'm your host, Rachel Wall, and in each episode of Putting Kings Online, I'll be talking to my colleagues about their roles here at King's College London within the online and professional executive education team. We'll be delving into the processes of creating online courses, from ideation to delivery, inclusive design, accessibility, and where we stand in the wider online learning community. Hi everyone, thanks so much for joining me today for the last episode of season one of Putting Kings Online. So we started this podcast amidst the backdrop of a global pandemic at a time when the UK was heading into another lockdown. And engaging in the process of delivering online learning content is one that schools and colleges and universities and also some businesses all over the world have had no choice but to go along with. Many had mixed feelings about how effective this type of learning can be and frustrations with the timeline in which they had to get familiar with this method of teaching and fast. So with that in mind we wanted to share our experiences as a team who've been teaching online before the pandemic began but have similarly over the years also experienced that really steep learning curve that comes with creating online courses that can be just as effective as those taught face-to-face, but that also tap into the growing flexibility that students have come to need in their busy lives. So in this episode, we'll be looking back. We'll be looking back over highlights of season one, how we as a team adapted to this need for more effective and practical online learning solutions as a result of COVID, how creative thinking, problem solving and collaboration have come to shape our approaches to delivering learning experiences. And in some ways, most importantly, being involved in wider conversations and practices surrounding a need for better understanding of accessible, diverse and inclusive design and delivery practices. By no means do we have all of the answers, but we really believe that in order to do better for our students, We want to open up these conversations and talk about how we can be better. Creating online courses takes a lot of work from different people who wear many different hats, from understanding how to shape that content for an online audience, to the effective use of media and graphics and the importance of the technology that we use to facilitate these experiences. Over the past year as a team, we've had many discussions around best practice and what we can do to alter the way that we work to accommodate the evolving changes to learning as a result of the pandemic. In the next few clips, you'll hear from Louise, who speaks about better use of our learning design system for the wider college. Dan, who spoke of challenges and solutions to creating media without access to studios and equipment. And Danielle reflected on why online learning can be a lifeline for students with a variety of access needs. I do, absolutely. And I think the more different technologies that people get used to using, the more people will change the way they teach because they have some exposure to it now. They have some ideas of this would also work for my face-to-face students. And equally, just thinking about how much are we going to end up doing lectures going forward? I say we, I mean, 
higher education in general, will this result in a change in how education is delivered, where instead of students going to live lectures, they'll get recorded lectures and then they will actually spend their face-to-face time doing something much more focused and engaged and interactive. I don't know. I don't know where all of this is going to go, but I think the more people get used to different modes of teaching, the more it's all going to blend together. And I think ultimately we're looking at education that is much more blended in general. Blended is such a wishy-washy term that can mean so many different things, but I do think uh, we're going to see a lot more of face-to-face students engaging online as well as in the classroom. And I suspect that online learning is going to keep growing because we know that some of the face-to-face students have gone, actually, this really works for me. This is really convenient. And so I think the appetite for technology is going to grow. Now, there's also going to be the backlash of this was really isolating. This was really hard. I didn't like this. But I think the, the really useful things will come out of it and people will keep the things that worked. So we're going to see a lot of change going forward, even once all of this is over. We just can't go back to the way things used to be because people's thoughts have started changing about different aspects, for better or for worse. I've been teaching a SkillsForge course on home educational media production, and there's been a, a huge demand for that course, and it's it has been extended twice now, so there's just more and more demand. I think it's going to make academics ultimately more confident in producing their own media, which is which can only be a good thing in my book. I think it's going to mean that we'll see more content shot by academics and teaching staff within courses, such as sort of short feedback videos and other videos of that sort. I gave some, I think, four different format types that. Um, that are fairly easy to produce at home, such as sort of the standard talking head video, video lectures and how best to approach those, and interviews and discussions, and also audio recording as well. I think, yeah, having more stuff generated by academics and teaching staff, I think it will just make the course feel like more of a live experience. I think it will help give students more of a feeling of connection with, with the teaching staff as well. So it might also have the sort of knock-on effect that in future specialist teams like our own will be able to focus more on producing more complex sort of high production value media pieces that will add more value to courses rather than thinking about things that might be able to be self-produced, I suppose. One of the reasons that I got into online learning and I wanted to work in online learning is that I felt like it really opened the doors for different people to be able to access higher education. You didn't have to have like a very specific lifestyle to be able to do it. If you could learn online, you could be living anywhere and you could be working at the same time and you could have caregiving responsibilities. And there was just all of these kinds of flexibilities. In getting to know different people within the team and what their roles entail, have highlighted some overlapping qualities and approaches to the work that has become an integral part of how we create our courses. A few things that came up frequently was the notion of creativity and collaboration as a driving force behind the work that we do. In these next two clips, you'll hear from Jazz about the importance of facilitating that creativity through project management. And Bobby, who really highlighted the importance of collaboration in making sure that we are all working towards the very best learning experience for our students. 
as you said, project management is quite a generic role that can be applied in lots of different projects and lots of different companies. But specifically for Kings and for Kings Online, I think the main part of being a project manager is about facilitating creativity. The process of developing online learning is incredibly creative. And we work with a number of creative people, creative teams, creative expertise. And the process to put the learning online for students is is very creative in the way that we collaborate and work with academics. So I guess my job as a project manager is really about facilitating that creativity, making sure that we're getting the best out of those people to create a great experience for students but also about helping to get the best out of the project and the best out of the situation to help develop those creative people further and to help us keep up to date with the trends in technology and in the trends in online learning. Yeah, I think it's really important that we have an, an idea of the entire process of learning a course from start to finish. Perhaps in editorial work, you would usually work on one article as an individual piece of content but we have to be aware of almost an entire journey of learning, which the student's going to be doing. Um, we need to make sure that the course in its entirety is being translated through our platform. This really requires knowledge and interaction with all areas of our department, as it isn't just based on one piece of text we're copy editing, but as mentioned, it involves functionality and the UX design system, etc. Um, content specific though, I do think it's we're still in a rare position where we work so closely with academic content without actually being a faculty member. Um, that's not to say that we change the content that the academics provide us with and the instructional designers inform the content more than we do. But we're still there to highlight if anything they have intended to say hasn't translated well or if any general mistakes are there. One of the key takeaways I learned from every episode is that our student base reaches far and wide. We have students from different backgrounds, different countries, different cultures with different sets of needs when it comes to how and where they learn. With this in mind, we wanted to open up the dialogue around topics of inclusivity and accessibility, both as an ongoing approach to improving our practices, but also in response to a world that is rapidly evolving and demanding more fairness around how we view and treat each other. In this next series of clips, you'll hear from Abby, who highlights the importance of diverse and inclusive visual design. Danielle reflects on how our team grapples with questions and best practices around accessibility. Toral speaks candidly about how teams should be doing more to make workplaces more inclusive and diverse. And Gartree reflects on the work still to be done on diversity and inclusion practices. I think representation is really important within design and I think it's really important that people are able to see themselves and especially when you've got kind of more technical subjects where some people may be underrepresented then I think it's really important to show a wide range of characters within your visual design or within the kind of images that you use um, and it's definitely a conversation that we've had within the team within the team of e-learning visual designers about how we make our design more inclusive and more representative and I think that it's across a number of fields of representation so in terms of ethnicity in terms of gender in terms of body shape as well I think that there's a default that we really try and avoid 
of the like white male skinny character. One of the things I did when I was quite new to this role immediately is I wanted to get a sense of how people on the team felt about accessibility already and how confident they felt in practicing it. And so I sent out a survey questionnaire and I'm going to send out another, basically a duplicate one um, at the end of March to see if there has been any shift. But one of the things that really struck me is that I included a variety of statements about accessibility and asked people you know, how far they agreed with it um, and what they thought. And one of the most overwhelming responses I got is that most people thought that accessibility is really complicated. That struck me because it was sort of across the board, people who felt they had had some experience with accessibility, people who felt that they hadn't, um, different roles. Most people agreed that they, they felt that accessibility is pretty complicated. And I think there's an extent to which that's true, especially once you start digging into like the really technical side um, and you're trying to think about how to structure code and balance different things. But there's also an extent to which accessibility is in some ways quite straightforward and is just about, you know, creating really understandable and easy to use interfaces. And so I think it's important to recognize that maybe accessibility feels complicated because it's complex. My history is something that has compelled me so far to never really speak about how I felt about the role of race and gender and, and sexuality, etc. in a workplace. So I am, I guess I'm an immigrant, is how I would be probably referred to now, even though I had rights as a British citizen when I was born, but I was born in a different country, in an African country, actually. I'm of Indian descent. I'm a woman. I'm a person of colour. And when I moved to England, I, I kind of had to assimilate and, you know, just kind of integrate and, and never really talk about how I am actually different. And that's kind of carried through a lot um, into workplaces as well. And so, so I can understand how fellow colleagues would be reluctant to speak about any issues they might be facing or, or things they might want to be talking about that they feel they can't. So. I can understand that's a very scary place to put up your hand and to say, oh, I have something to say. And quite frankly, I didn't say anything at OP until we had, you know, Anna, who is who was director of OP, who put that out there in order to understand how her colleagues were thinking about these issues. Right now, one of the most important things we can do as a committee and as an office is to understand that we're not experts and that we need to do all we can to keep listening and learning and adapting. So the, you know, the DNI committee itself, with all the work that we want to do within this next year, we still only really represent kind of one bit of the population. The committee itself isn't that diverse yet. So just understanding that it takes different people varying amounts of time to engage and to know that it's an initiative for everyone. And as Toral said, one of the most important things that we can continue to do is to provide a safe space a voice to those who need someone to speak up for them and continue researching and learning and sharing knowledge. Of all the intricacies attached to delivering online learning experiences, at the end of the day, it all comes down to the student. In each episode of the series, we sought to understand how people and ideologies come together. And what they all have in common is a desire to create a learning experience that is well-designed and thought out, effective, fit for purpose and hopefully enjoyable. 
So we'll finish off the episode by hearing from George and Abby, who both spoke of understanding the needs of students as a driving force behind certainly the media and graphics that they create, and Jazz and Sarah, who talk about the flexibility of online learning, adapting to COVID, and how we as a team have tried to create a holistic learning experience that fits with the wider excellence that comes from a King's College London degree or qualification. At the end of the day, we are making educational videos and our target audience is students. So as much as we have to engage them visually um, and making sure that there are no distractions, you know, nothing jarring with, you know, the actual video itself, we have to make sure that it's as clear as possible. And the message that's been put across is going to be adhered to by the students and they're going to thrive upon what we actually create. Yeah, that's the thing. Like we, we actually do know quite a lot about our students now as a result of the user research. So it's quite interesting kind of having such specific information about your audience as a designer, because I think when you're designing in a commercial setting, your audience is obviously a lot broader, whereas here it's quite a targeted audience. You know that they're experts in a particular field and you know they have a certain level of understanding and a certain kind of expectation as well of what they're going to be consuming in the online learning. Yes, I mean, it's definitely been a very different way of working for us. We're very lucky at Kings Online that we have the luxury of project managers who um, schedule nice, uh, what I call reasonable, sensible amount of time in for us to undertake the instructional design part of the role, but also the whole project from initial workshops and meetings with faculty and academics to explain the process, uh, really giving them the time and the opportunity to get comfortable with it and understand it. And then there's this long collaborative process Collaborative and creative innovation goes on. And as I say, we have the luxury of time for that normally. The challenge for us, and I think for um, everyone in the team, the real difference this time round was having to adopt almost rapid design methodologies. Whereas before we work on very bespoke online programmes, we work with academics traditionally that have already kind of been brought into online and what they're, they're generally quite enthusiastic they want to give it a go and the programs are deliberately designed for online learners whereas in the kind of covid world we're working with academics that have been thrown in the deep end perhaps never even thought they would be working in an online world perhaps maybe a bit skeptical about online a bit doubtful about it um, is it considered inferior you know those sorts of thought processes that some of our faculty may have had and you've got that coupled with the speed at which we had to work so um, it was definitely very challenging in the sense that I think the, the time element of it was the, the toughest bit for us and Generally speaking, most instructional designers are real reflective thinkers. We like time. We'll sit and ponder and reflect on, is this the right way to do something? Why are we doing this? And we ask a lot of questions and we had to just speed up that process and get very pragmatic very quickly around that. On the flip side of that, the challenge itself was very rewarding. We have some amazing members of faculty and academics in, in Kings generally. We got to work with programmes that were not necessarily already brought into the Kings Online projects. We got to work with a lot wider 
um, field of disciplines um, and colleagues across the schools, which for us, I think all of us as IDs, we have a learning curve. We enjoy our job if we're learning and we're always learning and we're always open to learning. And this was just another opportunity to um, learn more from other people that perhaps we wouldn't have had that interaction with a whole range of people and we worked closely with external IDs as well at times on what were deemed priority modules and and learned a lot from each other I think. Exactly and I also think with the way that we've developed so um, with the way that our head of innovation has developed the new design system which overlays our learning management system to create a cohesive experience for all students and a navigation system that cuts away all of the difficulties and challenges and niggles that students used to have. We're creating a much more unified experience, but also a really, really good quality experience in terms of just how a student learns, regardless of what content or teaching material is applied to it or or uploaded into it. And that's a wrap on season one. Thank you so much for listening. Please keep your eyes and ears peeled for season two, which is coming soon. All resources for all the episodes can be found on our website. That is at www.kcl.ac.uk forward slash putting dash kings dash online. Please go back and listen to your favourite episodes. Share them with your friends, your family and your colleagues. And a quick final reminder that Putting Kings Online is on SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher and Acast. But for now, until next time, thanks for listening. You've been listening to Putting Kings Online. Subscribe, rate and share us wherever you get your podcasts. Putting Kings Online is hosted, produced and edited by me, Rachel Wall, and is a production brought to you by the online and professional executive education team here at King's College London.